Hey everybody, this is Natalie Griffin coming at you live from the Naughty Shaman Recording Studio, which tonight is my dining room. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you this evening. Uh, Before we dive into the podcast, tonight's topic is going to be a what to do when you are freaking out. (laughs) It's going to be an epic ride of a podcast and I'm so grateful you're here. But I also, I know that people are craving some human connection with the luminous army that is Naughty Shaman and I wanted to let you know of two international opportunities coming up here soon. You can check out the details on the website at NaughtyShaman.com so I won't bore you with them here. But we are doing an amazing event here in Connecticut in the U.S. in the beginning of October, and the event is called Creative Creator. It's four days, four nights that will absolutely transform your life, give you a safe opportunity to face what you fear the most so that you can break through that fear and live the life of your dreams. I am um, teaching with my beloved friends, Minerva Hebron of Chile and Mauricio Bruce of Costa Rica, and you can read their amazing bios on our website. And the other opportunity that I wanted to let you know about is that we are going to Peru. Peru in 2019, the last week of May. And this trip is a restoration of joy and wonder. We are going to be traveling and visiting the colorful markets of Pisac and San Pedro. And we will be visiting sacred sites, including Machu Picchu. So we would love for you to join us. And you can check all that out on NaughtyShaman.com. All right, loves, here's the deal. What do you do when you're freaking out, when your eyes are wide and something has happened in your life that was unexpected and you're not sure what to do? This week seems to have been a week of clients coming in, having lost a job, lost a lover, um, had to move, something happened that was strange, a loved one went in the hospital, Um, just a lot of sudden events creating fear. Other people are experiencing a tremendous amount of fear right now because of the state of the world. There are some really um, terrifying things happening in the world and it feels out of our control and that can really generate a significant amount of fear pumping through our biology and in our minds and in our emotions and this affects how we make decisions. So I would love to spend some time with you this evening talking about some lessons I learned from one of my teachers about how to handle extreme stress and fear. So the first story that I want to share with you is a story from when I was becoming a wilderness first responder. Now, wilderness first responders, I I loved being a wilderness first responder, but but their job is pretty much uh, to be like a paramedic, but in the backcountry. So there are no hospitals. There's no oxygen tanks. Typically, you're in the wilderness, you got sticks and stones, and you got to make some stuff work. And that's what I loved about wilderness uh, first responding is that it was extremely creative and dependent upon your environment. And it required quick thinking and problem solving and brainstorming and assessments. And and I loved everything about it. Plus, it was a wonderful opportunity to be of service. So during my training, I was in the backcountry of of Colorado on um, Long's Peak. And we were in the backcountry up there for 10 days. And, you know, every day we would be faced with a scenario and one of us was leader of the day. And then at the end of the day, we would be critiqued by our peers and our teachers. And, um, and in this way we would learn and grow. So one of the days, a friend of mine was leader of the day and we were getting ready to break camp. And I have to tell you about our teacher. My teacher was Paul Petzold. 
Now, Paul Petzold is no longer with us, but Paul Petzold, we had the good fortune of being one of the last classes that he taught. Paul Petzold was the first man, he had the first ascent on Devil's Tower, and he made his first ascent on Devil's Tower in cowboy boots, Levi's, and White Haynes t-shirt with a pack of smokes rolled up the sleeve. This man is crusty. And by crusty, I mean, he is hard. He is rugged. He is tough. He was teaching wilderness first responding in the backcountry with us while he was in his seventies. He was an incredibly badass man who inspires me to this day. And I'm so grateful that our lives crossed paths. So Paul was our teacher and um, we were getting ready to break camp that day. And, and my friend Karen was going to be the leader of the day. And we were sharing tents. So we're fired up. We're like, this is going to be so great. You're the leader of the day. I can't wait. It's going to be wonderful. I'm totally going to mess with you. I'm going to put a bear bite. You know, we all had to fake these injuries. So I was like, I'm going to make a bear bite and a punctured lung. And those are like the most difficult things to try to fix out in the wilderness. And um, she was like, oh, I'll bring it. And we were breaking our tent up. And we had just pulled out the tent stakes. We'd emptied it and put it in our pack. So the tent was empty like a balloon. And when we pulled up our tent stakes, the wind picked up our tent, knocked over our supply bag, and this wind came and just started sending our tent and all of these supplies like over this this snowy crest. And we looked at each other and we're like, holy shit, we got to get our stuff. So we start tearing across these this snowy drift. And all we hear from behind us is Paul Petzl with a cigarette in his hand screaming at us, stop running. <laughs> and so we knew better than to disobey Paul. So we stopped dead in our tracks and watched our stuff just flow away. And Paul walked up and brought the class. He's like, this is a teachable moment. Look around, stop and look around. And I'll tell you what, my friends, what I saw made me want to wet my pants a little. I'm not going to lie. It was terrifying. We were probably five or six feet away from, there were some signs of um, collapse in the snow, um, like little mini avalanches and things like that. We were right about five or six feet away from a cliff that had been drifted over by snow. And had we kept running we surely would have tumbled to serious injury, if not death. So Paul took this opportunity to break down some wisdom for us because he had our attention, 100% of it. And he said, you guys, listen to me. And he's smoking a cigarette. He says, if you learn one thing from these 10 days in the back country, here's what you got to learn. When shit is hitting the fan, the first thing, the first thing you've got to do is sit down and smoke a cigarette. And we all look at each other like, oh my God, this old guy's gone crazy. Sit down, smoke a cigarette. He said, this is that cigarette. This is the pause before the action, and it'll save your life. And that memory of that moment is seared into my brain of pause and then act. Sit down and smoke a cigarette. It's the pause. I guess, uh, You can smoke a cigarette if you want. That's cool. But yeah, Pause is the moral of the story. So I got to put this to the test, you know, about a year later. 
I was going to, I don't know where I was, but I was on some spelunking rescue team and some outward group, outward bound groupy thing. And we were rock climbers and cavers and whitewater rafters. And we hung out. And so one time we, I was on the spelunking rescue team. Boy, is that a sexy resume item, right? So if you were lost in a cave in Pennsylvania at the time, I was one of these six people that would go find you and bring you out. And um, so anyway, these six other people that were on the spelunking rescue team and I decided, hey, we got the day off. Let's all go spelunking. That'd be wicked awesome. So we go to this cave. That's one of our favorite caves in Pennsylvania. It's right off this highway. And you go down into it. It has a huge cavern that you can walk in and kind of set up, get your bearings, organize yourselves. And it's a maze cave. And these maze caves are created, not not like other caves, which maybe have a single water source that carves them out, like a river or something like that. Maze caves are, are created because the groundwater has an irregular flow. And so it ends up creating this labyrinth, an elaborate labyrinth of passages. And they're typically closed loops after loops after loops. Typically, there's only one way in, one way out. And so we'd been in this cave before. We'd been trying to map it for about a year so that we could figure out all the nooks and crannies. And and in the process of uh, mapping this cave and and talking to the you know hundred year old dudes that lived out in the country in Pennsylvania where this cave was, there was a legend that if you traveled in this cave enough, there was this legendary passageway that would take you underneath the highway and into a whole new maze of, of cave um, on the back side of the highway. And no one we'd ever known had ever found this passageway. And we were like, God, those old dudes are crazy. And we never thought much about it. But but we'd heard that legend. And so we go off in the cave and um, we're in there for, for probably 45 minutes. And, and the cave has a lot of different shapes and sizes for the passageways. There are some belly crawl caves where you really have to get on the belly and crawl on your elbows and shimmy shimmy until you get to the next open place. That's pretty dicey. I'm not going to lie. There were also other passageways where you could be on your hands and knees. So we're, we're going through these caves. Different people are leading at different times, depending on strengths and skills and familiarity with the caves. And um, we're just having a great time, but we've been in the cave a long time. And so one guy asks, like, you guys, I think we ought to start heading back. And so we think we're starting to head back. We're heading back. We're heading back. And we're not back yet. And we're like, we should have been back now. We took our compass bearings. We're still like, man, we should be back. We've been we've been going north a long time. I think, you know, we we should be back now to the highway or, you know, to the cave entrance by the highway. And... And then there was this like singular passageway ahead of us. And it was maybe two and a half, three feet tall. And it was pretty tiny. And they were like, you know, Nat, you ought to go first <laughs> because, you know, you're the smallest and you haven't been the leader yet. And I was like, okay, I'll lead through this, you know, terrorizing little stretch of cave and see what's on the other side because we really didn't know where we were. We were beyond our map. And, um, so I went first, you know, I got my headlight on, I'm, I'm crawling, I'm doing like a little belly crawl and I'm on my hands and knees sometimes. And it got a little squishy and low. So I'm kind of trying to keep my breath calm and get through this passageway and, and pray to God it opens up into a huge cavern where there's like margaritas. But I was still in the cave praying at this time on my belly, trying to get through this little spot. And then thankfully I could see that there was a, an opening ahead where I'd finally be able to get off my hands and knees and, and stretch out my legs a little bit. It looked like a nice big cavern. It had an echo to it. I could see and hear that there was some space ahead. And so I'm starting to belly crawl, belly crawl out of here. And my headlight, I kind of popped through the edge of this belly crawl place. 
and my headlight goes up into the cavern and I see hundreds and hundreds of bats hanging from the ceiling. And I hate bats. I'm not going to lie. So I do the normal thing. I scream like a girl. Ah! And you know what's really bad about screaming in a bat cave is that it wakes up the bats. And guess what? Guess who is blocking the only exit out of the bat cave? Yes, my friends, it was me. So these terrifying bats have to fly around me and behind me to get out of their cave, which I've scared them. I'm scared. Them. So these bats are like flopping around my face and flopping around my face. And I'm screaming and everyone's screaming because they don't know if I'm like dying or what's going on. And then all of a sudden the bats are catching up to them and they're screaming and we're all screaming. And we're like, oh my God, the bats is crazy. Ah. So I just crawl like crazy into this giant um, cavern. And one by one, we all kind of spill out into this cavern that is the bat cave. And, and we're all sitting there like... <laughs> trying to catch our breath. <laughs> and we realized that we were lost. And we sat down and one of the guys literally had a pack of cigarettes and we all smoked a cigarette in the name of Paul Petzal and tried to figure out what had happened. So screaming, not a good option. Sitting down smoking a cigarette probably would have served me a little bit better in that situation. I was about four minutes too late to that calm place. But in that calm space where we were literally sitting in a back cave smoking a cigarette, trying to figure out how we'd gotten lost in this maze cave, we actually mapped and found that day the legendary path to the other side. Isn't that amazing? So epic story about getting lost in a back cave. Now, I'm pretty sure that none of you are going to go off today and get lost in a bat cave and have to apply these skills. But what I learned from the bat cave experience is that there is a quick way that you can start to address when you are feeling fear in the actual real world. And it's about pause, fact, fact, act. And the thing about the pause is the sit down and smoke a cigarette. I love that idea of just the pause and not like a, okay, I paused. Sometimes that's enough, but a good pause, maybe 10 seconds, 15 seconds even is a long pause because when we are triggered into fight or flight, we are not accessing rational thought in that moment. We are accessing instinct. We have hit the reptilian brain. We are all about survival. We could run for a day on a broken leg when that part of the brain is activated. And we lose access to the neocortex because of the cortisol pumping through our brains at this time. So fight or flight is, is not a place that you want to be making decisions from. And that is why that calm pause is so critical. Whenever you can grab it in the middle of a meeting, the middle of a difficult conversation with a loved one, the middle of a difficult moment with your children, the pause is the moneymaker, my friends, for sure. Now, checking the facts, you know, most of us are wired to check, you know, how are they? Are they okay? Especially if we're in a group of people. And the first fact that you want to check after the pause is how are you? Are you doing all right? Because you're the leader of your life and, and you can take a leadership role in the group. And the first thing to ask yourself is, how are you? Are you safe? Are you injured? Are you doing all right? How are you doing? Are you hungry? You need some sleep? What do you need? What's going on? So you want to check in with yourself and kind of do a self-assessment. Am I okay? 
Because if the answer to that is yes, then you can jump into service. If the answer to that is no, then you need to be of service to yourself. Because if you're not going to take care of yourself first, then you're really going to blow it with other people. You're going to run out of, jet, run out of gas. You're going to run out of gas and you don't want to do that. Same thing as the whole oxygen mask scenario. It's the exact same scenario there. Check yourself first. Check your bag, check your gear, check your stuff. Make sure you're okay. After that, are they okay? Check and see the people around you. Did you burst into an anger episode and and now you're okay? And you look around and you're like, wow, there were a lot of ripples behind my tirade and I need to go be of service and maybe apologize and repair, repair trust, repair respect, repair dignity. What needs to be restored in these moments? So those are the first three. Take the pause, smoke the cigarette, the proverbial and metaphorical cigarette. (laughs) Sit down, take a few breaths. Are you okay? What needs to be restored for you to be okay? Second, are they okay? What needs to be restored, restored for them to be okay? And then finally, what's the biggest priority here? What's the biggest priority here? And then you go. Now, you know, we're not running around in bat caves, like I said, but we are in a wilderness, my friends. Look around. I pay attention to the news once a week, a couple times a week. You know, it's it's enough. I try not to just digest too, too much. But when I do, it, I am amazed that we are truly in a wilderness. You know, so here, here is the, the crossover. When you're in the back country, it's unpredictable. You don't know when a storm is coming in. You don't know um, if that's shale or granite on that slope until you get there. You're not sure always if you have the right gear and the right tools um, to handle whatever's going to come your way. There's an element of uncertainty when you're in the back country. And we are in that time right now. We are in times of great chaos and uncertainty. And so the skills that are necessary right now are these skills. How do I be a leader in the midst of chaos? This is hard. You know, back in the day, back in our grandfather's day, and even for some of us, our parents' day, it was a little bit easier and predictable. People weren't losing jobs all the time. There, there weren't the massive sweeps in legislation or changes in society or with the economy. And now we are faced with all kinds of change all the time. And we are in a bit of a wilderness situation. And do you have what it takes to be that beacon of light and calm and rational thought and emotional clarity and open heartedness? When shit's hitting the fan, it's easy to do on your yoga mat. It's easy to do on your meditation poof. It's easy to do when you're in a workshop with people who think just like you. But the true test of this is can you maintain your dignity and grace when you're faced with adversity and chaos? Because that is the measure of the luminous warrior. That is the measure of a leader. Can you make it real when it counts? That's what we're all practicing. We practice it in the simple moments of when we are with like-minded people, when we are with ourselves and our breath on our yoga mat, when we have solitude and relaxation. We practice this calmness, this insightfulness, this rapid assessment of self and others and priorities so that when it comes, our time, we are more prepared. So we have to practice these skills 
And one of my favorite practices, as you know, is meditation. I'm not sure how people are surviving without some sort of practice of reflection, contemplation, observation. I don't care if it's meditating. I don't care if you're holding a teacup. I don't care if you're watching birds. I don't care if you're doing yoga, but some regular practice is so critical right now to remember that it's not about the arrival of anywhere. It's about the practice itself, because in this way, we will have access to those same skills of calm and clarity whenever we need it. When our boss is yelling at us, when our children won't go to bed, that's when we need it the most. All right, my loves. This is Natalie signing off from Naughty Shaman this evening. It was super fun to talk to you about when you're in the back cave of fear, how do you get out? Sit down and smoke a cigarette. (laughs) Oh, blessings on your family, Paul Petzl. You were an amazing teacher and I honor you this evening. And to all my teachers and all my friends and to all of you, thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you from Naughty Shaman, where we like to keep the sacred a little wild and totally real.